Um, I, I was just looking actually through the abstracts and I, um, he was really a most amazing man because we all know his great achievements as far as antisepsis is concerned. I, I was interested myself because I'm a colorectal surgeon with an interest in gastrointestinal physiology and I noticed that when he was a student at uh, uh, UCH um, he actually um, did some work, experimentation in gut uh, innovation. I, I was quite staggered by that because I had read quite a lot about Lister, but never that. And in fact, he made some um, quite um, uh, prescient um, uh, remarks and theories about the gut autonomic uh, nervous system, which subsequently uh, was, was in fact proven. So I thought that was very interesting. Of course, there are various other areas um, that he's um, uh, known for. Um, so I know that the meeting is a bit different to the one that uh, was in Edinburgh recently, which I was at. That was a very interesting meeting, actually, because Andrew Lansley was there, and he was picketed, and he couldn't get out of the, uh, uh, out of the college. He was locked in his car for an hour and a half, which was... Which is very, very interesting. Actually, in fact, it was the highlight of the meeting for many, many people. Uh, um, I'd like to welcome also the uh, speakers, and particularly uh, the previous CMO, um, Sir Liam Donaldson, who I'm sure will entertain, and the, all the other elected um, the the um, speakers. Uh, I'm very sorry that I can't stay. Uh, I have to go on off to Wales immediately to chair a meeting, believe it, of the Welsh Surgical Board, followed by the um, meeting of the um, uh, surgical trainees. So I'm really sorry about that, but that's the nature of this post uh, these days. I really hope it will be an entertaining meeting. I, I, it's going to be very interesting because it's not going to be scientific, so scientific. I can see the historians here and... You know, that's, I'm sure. Uh, so I'm really sorry I can't join you, and I hope it'll be a super day. But uh, you're all most welcome, and I hope you will go up to the Hunterian Museum at some point, uh, those people who haven't been here, here before. It's really quite a, a superb museum, although I say so myself. So uh, welcome, have a good day, and thank you very much. And I'll hand over to the chair, Sarah. Sir Liam Donaldson started his career in Birmingham, where he trained as a surgeon. Since then, he has worked across all areas of healthcare, including hospital medicine, general practice, public health, academic medicine, and health service management. From the mid-1980s to the mid-1990s, he was regional director of the NHS Northern Region. In 1998, Liam Donaldson became the 15th chief medical officer for England. And in 2002, he received a knighthood in recognition of his achievements in health and healthcare. He was appointed chair of the National Patient Safety Agency in 2010. And in 2011, he was appointed WHO Envoy for Patient Safety. In this role, Sir helps the organisation promote patient safety as a global public health priority. I've also just found out that he's a professor at Imperial College London in addition to these roles. And finally, as a historian, it's a real pleasure to introduce Liam, as he has an interest in history too, and has co-authored The Nation's Doctor, the role of the Chief Medical Officer, 1855 to 1998, with Sally Sheard.
Thank you and good morning, everybody. Um, it's a great pleasure to be here. Um, I didn't actually uh, look into whether Lister knew the first uh, Chief Medical Officer, Sir John Simone. He almost certainly would have done, but what we found when we were putting together the history of the Chief Medical Officers was that there was relative scarcity of papers uh, relating to the Chief Medical Officers in the National Archives. So I think whatever links there were would probably come from uh, Lister's archive rather than from uh, central government archives. But it might be an interesting thing for me to look into now that uh, it's been raised today. But if we look at the... Um, I just need to have a little bit of guidance now on the mechanism for... No. The technician available just to come down and... Thank you. That's right, it's hidden under there. Thank you. <laughs> I don't want to use that, so what do I do? Okay. Thank you very much. Sorry about that delay. Um, the last 25 years of the, um, of the 19th century were very important for surgery. In those 25 years or so, the three big giant evils of surgery, pain, hemorrhage, and infection, were not exactly conquered, but great strides were made uh, to lay the foundations of modern surgery where they came under control as issues. And, of course, Lister made his big contribution uh, in one of those areas. And his long-standing interest, and I'm sure this is something that Professor Warboys will say more about, uh, was in the relationship between putrefaction, suppuration, and sepsis, and, and much of his early work was focused on uh, that chain of causation. And of course, his, um, when his name's mentioned, it's often mentioned in uh, concert with that of Semmelweis, who uh, was an obstetrician uh, working in Vienna some 20 years before um, Lister undertook his work and really uh, decoded purple sepsis and made great strides forward. You may ask, well, why wasn't this work of Semmelweis picked up uh, and acted on as part of the, the work that was done in uh, the United Kingdom at that time? Well, I suppose you could say that um, apart from the resistance to Semmelweis's ideas, which also afflicted Lister's work, um, there was also uh, a difficulty, I guess, in scientific knowledge being passed across from one field to another at that particular time. But when Lister started his work, he was, he was uh, put on to Pasteur by Thomas Anderson, who was the professor of chemistry at Glasgow University. So, and then uh, Lister became uh, very well acquainted with Pasteur and his work and, and acquainted with him personally. But that link or that suggestion of the relevance of Pasteur's work to what Lister was trying to do came about um, through a, a professor of chemistry, not somebody in a clinical field. But I want to draw some uh, modern 
parallels with um, the experience of Lister in trying to improve the safety of care all those years ago and what's happening today and particularly explore whether the trends and the barriers and the, uh, and the difficulties of change are still as great as they were in Lister's days. And so I've extracted three implicit features of the work that Lister <coughs> was doing. First of all, um, he was looking more widely than um, the care of individual patients into the way that uh, the processes of care were delivered. So he had a, a broader practice philosophy than simply looking after the patients in front of him. Secondly, he um, was trying to get everybody to standardize their practice around um, a particular uh, way of preventing infection. And then thirdly, um, one would hope that he was hoping to influence um, not just the institutions in which he was working, but the wider culture of healthcare to make uh, it focus more directly on safety. So let's look at each of those in turn and look at some of the modern parallels. It's very striking when you look at the way that medical practice has developed in this country over the last um, 50 years or so that um, quality and safety have been the domain of um, largely enthusiasts until relatively recently. Um, the colleges, some colleges have, have done a great deal. I can remember when I was uh, a regional medical officer in the northeast of England in the late 1980s, um, hosting a, a meeting which uh, on the college side was chaired by Miles Irving. And at that time, uh, the college had a quality committee or they had a quality initiative. So your college was actually... Uh, embedded in the field of, uh, of quality, if not safety, because safety wasn't discussed as a concept all those years ago. But until relatively recently, um, the philosophy of clinical practice in this country has been to treat the patient but not think particularly more widely about the, uh, the service and the process of care surrounding them that might be putting them at risk. But that's changing, and it's changing partly because we look at the individual incidents, the case stories that occur in healthcare, and are horrified by some of them. The idea that in a modern 21st century uh, healthcare system, not just in this country, but in others, in North America, in uh, Australia, in many other places that have been studied in developed countries, leaving aside the great challenges in developing countries, that patients are regularly killed during the process of care inadvertently. And this is a relatively recent example. Uh, this uh, gentleman, Maurice Murphy, was a very celebrated musician. He was... Um, responsible for playing a trumpet on the soundtracks of some big Hollywood um, films. And he went into hospital, and as part of his care, he needed to have a nasogastric tube passed, and instead of the tube being passed into his um, stomach, it went into his lungs and he was fed, and, and basically he died as a result. 
the nature of this incident, and it it's well, was well um, described in the coroner's uh, report, so nothing I'm going to say is not already in the public domain, had a number of features to it. Um, the tube uh, was being supervised by a junior doctor, and uh, a nurse, a junior nurse, uh, challenged him uh, because she believed that the tube was wrongly placed. And his response to her, and I'd advise you that this is quite a uh, distressing uh, form of words that he, he used, he said to her, I've told you already the tube's in the right place. You don't have a brain to understand what I told you and uh, carry on feeding the patient. So she didn't feel that she could challenge any further. She fed the patient and, and, and the patient died. There was a radiology report which showed that the um, tube was misplaced, but it went through the routine system. There was